Well, I need your help again this morning. We have another dilemma in our household that we need to solve. And I've found that it's best to just bring it right to a vote and take care of it. This last week, I was reminded of a challenge we're going to have. We're setting our kids up for a terrible disaster. This last week, I went into a meeting. As I walked into a meeting, this guy looks at me and goes, how dare you be a Packers fan? I was like, how dare you accuse me of being a Packers fan? Little did I know or forget, I was carrying a Packers cup with me. See, we've got a Packers fan in our house. And therefore, we've got one cup that's got a Packers logo on it. And I just grabbed that out of the cupboard before I left and put six cubes in Mountain Dew, kind of a side issue, in it, and went to the meeting. And walked into the meeting, they saw the Packers logo. I thought, oh, didn't even know that. And it reminded me, this is going to be a problem. What are we going to do for our kids? They're going to have split loyalties. And so I thought, we've got to take a vote. Vikings are Packers. We've got to get their loyalties lined up right away at an early age. So who's with me today? Vikings. This, this is a little surprising. All right, stand on. Packers. All right. Vikings have it. But hold on, that's only half the problem. That's only half the problem. We've also got another issue. We've got twins versus the Yankees. The righteous versus the unrighteous. David versus Goliath. Who's with me this morning? The twins. Who's willing to raise their hand this morning for the unrighteous? The Yankees. Well, guess what? Guess what? Just by decree, it's Mother's Day. We're going to give it to the Packers and the Yankees for one day. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. I don't know what we're going to do. Loyalties are going to be split for a long time. But you know what? That's going to be a minor allegiance issue in the hearts of our children in 20 or 25 years. We've got a bigger problem on our hands. There's other people, there's other institutions, there are things that are calling for the allegiance of our children's hearts. There's actually other people and other things that are calling for the allegiance of our hearts and our minds. Many times we live our lives with divided loyalties, challenges of who or what should we give our allegiance to today. Because everyone and everything wants our allegiance. Everyone and everything wants your time. Everyone and everything wants your money. So where does our allegiance go? To whom will we give our loyalty? This morning, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives us basically a three-sentence hymn. And that's what we're reading this morning. Colossians 1 is a hymn. It's a song that the early church sang. Basically saying, hey, remember this in this battle that you're having. But in order to understand really the words that the Apostle Paul is writing, we've got to understand the time in which the book of Colossians was written. Because our challenge with the allegiance that we're dealing with on a regular basis, they had serious loyalty challenges in Jesus' time when he was alive and also when the book of Colossians was written. 
we have to go way back, thousands of years, basically to the year 44 B.C., which before Christ was even born. In that year 44, 40 B.C., Julius, basically Julius Caesar, was in charge of the Roman Empire. The most powerful man on the universe, at least recorded for us, he was assassinated. And then in the year 44 B.C., it was basically chaos. The Roman Empire began to fall apart. The economy struggled. There was military weakness everywhere, basically at all of these different groups rising up. But then again, in the year about 23 B.C., Octavian, who was actually a far relative of Julius Caesar, rises up. Now what's interesting is Octavian is supposedly the assassin of Julius Caesar. So he rises to power. But they still got a little bit of an issue here trying to say, okay, everybody, gather around. Let's rally around this Octavian. So there was a story. There was a story that when Julius Caesar died, because of his magnificence, what happened was that he went into the ground, but a star went into heaven. And so that star was a symbol that now Julius Caesar is the divine one ruling all things from heaven. And then now Octavian comes along and they rename him, basically giving him the name Caesar Augustus, which should sound familiar to those of you who grew up in the church. That name is in our Bibles quite a bit and was heavily involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. So he, Caesar Augustus rises to power. And now he's basically saying, okay, now the Roman Empire is back in charge. So they want to remind everyone and say, hey, the Roman Empire is the divine authority because Caesar Augustus is the adopted son of Julius Caesar. So they now begin to call Caesar Augustus son of man, son of God. So what do they do to kind of bring this into people's minds? Well, you take a logo, right? This is why companies create logos is it reminds you about something. So the Roman Empire takes something and begins printing in their coins to remind all of the people in the everyday who's in charge. So one of the first coins they made was this here. We've got Caesar Augustus over here on the left. And then on the right, we've got an interesting situation, which on the back side of the coin, you've got a star. Hmm. The star is what? The star that rose to the heavens when Julius Caesar died. Now, it also says on this coin, divine Julius, so it's really coming to say, son of the divine Julius is Caesar Augustus. So he's saying, son of God, all authority is mine because I have it from who? The divine Julius, that star reminds you. Now, does anybody remember the birth of Jesus? There was a star involved in the birth of Jesus. That was not just some little, hey, that's a cool thing to throw in the Bible to add something to the story. I would contend that was God giving the Roman Empire a friendly little reminder. Hey, who's in charge? Because what happens? Some people come looking because they saw a star, remember? They saw a star, so they come and they say, hey, where's this one king of the Jews who's been born? We saw the star. Now, Caesar as Augustus is going, oh, What? What do you mean, star? I'm the son of the divine. So what does Augustus do? Augustus says, oh yeah, go and visit. Go and visit. But then report back to me where 
you visited this Son of God at? So they, they go and they visit. They follow the star. The star leads them to the Son of God. Then what happens? They don't return and tell Caesar where they saw the Son of God, Jesus being born. Why? Because they know Caesar is going to kill everybody in that territory. So what happens is this. Augustus doesn't know where this Son of God is, so what do they do? Kill everyone in this region under the age two. This is historical fact, events that happened. Why? Because Caesar is afraid that what? His divinity, his power and authority is coming into question. He has to remind everyone, hey, some star in the sky that you saw? No, 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 no. That's the star over there. And remember, I come from that star. So he kills everyone to reinforce his authority. So they create a coin to remind the everyday people, hey, remember who's in charge here. All authority comes from Rome. Why does all authority come from Rome? Because the person who's in charge in Rome comes from the divine creator, the divine being who's in charge of everything. So they create some other coins. Another coin that they created, same idea. This is another ruler who was put in, in charge. That person's there, and then it says it got divine there on the right of the coin on the left. You can barely see it. D-I-V-I, and then F, divine son again of the one, the star. And then over here on the right, the back side of the coin, very interesting. They've got the Roman emperor sitting on the throne, and then the people coming and waving what? Branches. And saying, hey, you are the king. We're paying homage to you. So the Roman Empire is reminding everyone, hey, remember who you have to come and honor. Now, branches, that sounds familiar. There were branches when a guy named Jesus rode in on a donkey. Well, now we see why the Roman government sent their best military commander to Jerusalem when Jesus came. Because the Roman Empire heard, hey, there's going to be problems in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. They're bringing this guy. You better get your best man down there. So what does the Roman Empire do? They send the best. Governor, military commander, you put this thing to an end. And what's going on? Jesus, people are waving branches. You only wave branches to the throne in Rome. So what do they do? Rome says, hey, Jewish leaders, what do you want us to do about this Jesus? Well, we'd like you to kill him. So what does Rome do? Huh, thank you. And because the Roman leaders do what? This isn't on our hands. This is on the Jewish leaders' hands. But what? They're quick to do it. Why? Because Jesus is challenging their authority. Because Jesus has been called what? Son of God. Well, who's the Son of God? I thought Caesar Augustus, Son of God. You've got to get rid of Jesus to reinforce who's in charge. So again, divided loyalty. Rome is saying, you owe us all of the honor. We're in charge. And then to top it all off, Rome says this. They make another coin. Another coin that's got another leader. Augustus, hey, I'm in charge, the divine one. And then over here on the back side of the coin, it's got the word pax, P-A-X, which means peace. Rome is saying, peace comes from us. You want peace in your life, which is economic prosperity and military security? Where does that come from? It comes from Rome. That's why on this coin, the individual is standing on a sword. Again, reminding everybody, we're in charge of the military. 
But then also in his hand, he's holding a staff. That staff, which you can't see very well, has two snakes basically wrapped around it. Some of you are maybe familiar with the idea of a staff and snakes from the medical world. It was actually in that day, it started in the commerce world. It was basically held to say, we're in charge of the economy. We are in charge of all commerce. If you want to do any trading, it comes through us. So Rome is saying, you want to have economic prosperity, you want to have military security, in other words, pax, peace, that comes from us. That comes from the divine one who's in charge. So this is the situation that people are living in. Rome is saying, hey, we, our authority comes from the divine one, therefore we are divine. Well, this helps you understand a ton of what's going on in the Bible. Because now we have Paul, who's writing this book that we're reading today, Colossians. Paul is in prison by the Roman authorities. Why? Well, guess what Paul's doing? Paul's spreading news that there's another divine son of God. Paul's not in prison because he's doing good works, and they're like, hey, we've got to stop this good works movement. No, 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 no. Paul's in prison because, hey, he's saying that this man, Jesus, who we hung on the cross, is also the son of God. So they put him in prison. Well, Paul gets an opportunity to write letters in prison to a variety of churches. So he writes this letter to this place, the people in Colossae, the church. is basically a whole city of Christians, Christians living in a city. And now he reminds them in this letter that we're picking up today, and he says, hey, 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 everybody in Colossae, remember this. You're being told this packs through the Roman Empire. But now look with me in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 2. Once you understand the cultural setup, it completely changes how you read the book. Colossians 1, verse 2. Look at what Paul does here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. <laughs> okay, Paul, that's like poking the bear. Paul's basically saying, hey, hey, people of Colossae, do you know where peace comes from? Not from Rome, but from God our Father. The Christian movement has never just been this spiritual thing that's all about the life someday. The Christian movement has always been political. It's always been in the everyday saying, Jesus is alive and real and it affects us today. And Paul is saying, hey, you want peace? It comes from God our Father. He doesn't just like, hey, we need something to start our letter with. No, he reminds them, peace from God our Father. Now, we look on here, we read earlier, Colossians 1, 15 through 18, Paul gets right to the heart of the matter. And he says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. This is who Jesus is. So verses 15 through 17 are all basically saying this. Jesus is Lord of creation. He starts it by saying, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Okay, this is not a wise idea on Paul's behalf. Because who's the image of the invisible God? Caesar is. He's the image of Julius, the star. So when Paul says, no, no, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Paul is punching Rome. He's saying, hey, do you know who makes the divine known, who reflects the nature of God? It's this man, Jesus. And then notice what he says next about Jesus. He says, Verse 16, 15, he says, after image of invisible guys, says, firstborn of all creation. Okay, that's just absurd. Paul says, hey, before this creation, this stuff 
this earth, this water, this land, these animals, these trees ever existed, guess what? Jesus existed. That's a radical claim. It's basically saying this Jesus who you hung on a tree was not just another human being rebel who came to power at some point. No, this Jesus has existed for eternity. And when he came as a baby, that was not him coming to life. That was him coming in a different form, the form of a human being. Paul is making a radical claim about the identity and the person of Jesus Christ. And then Paul doesn't stop there. He says, verse 16, For by Him, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So basically saying, hey, Jesus created everything. It's through His power, His authority, that everything was created and given life. And then he just has to twist the knife a little bit more. Look what he says next. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... All things were created through him and for him. That throne in Rome, guess who it belongs to? It belongs to Jesus Christ. That White House in Washington, D.C., guess who it belongs to? It belongs to Jesus Christ. Because he is the king of kings. He is the ruler of all other rulers. You see, Rome had it this way. It was the king and then the law. The king was above the law. Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's Jesus, the law, and then the king. The king is not above the law. This is a radical idea. This is pushing the envelope big time. This gives you clear understanding on why Paul is killed. Paul's not just put in a nursing home and like, oh, finally we got him quiet. No, He's killed. Why? Because he's saying the Roman Empire is not the final authority, that they are not the ones who deliver ultimate peace, that the Roman government is not divine authority, but Jesus is the one who's divine authority. We would do well today to remember where authority comes from. Every authority on the face of the earth is given by Jesus. Jesus is over everything. So Paul says, hey, Jesus is Lord of the creation. And then next, Jesus, so he's kind of said, hey, here in the secular realm, Jesus is in control. He owns everything. And now he kind of says to the church people, verse 18, he says, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus isn't just created everything and he's in control of that and he left. No, no, Jesus created everything, owns everything, but also guess what? Jesus is in charge of the church. Paul had to remind the church that, hey, this isn't a democracy. This isn't a do-whatever-you-want. Jesus is in charge. This is a theocracy. That's why when Paul starts all of his letters, again, go back up to the top, Colossians 1, verse 1. This is a very important thing to understand. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul starts all of his letters by saying, hey, 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 I'm writing to you not on my authority, but because I'm sent by Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He's reminding everybody he's coming from the authority of God because Jesus is in charge of the church. Jesus has full control and final say over everything in the church. There are no votes about what's sinful and not sinful. Jesus has the final say. 
why he says, he never says to Paul, hey, Paul, write a letter, give them three options, have them vote on it, and see what they choose. No, Paul always says, I come to you as an apostle by the will of God the Father, and here's what I say. Not on my authority, but on the authority of Jesus, the one who's in charge. We live under authority, the authority of Jesus. So Jesus is in charge of creation. He's in charge of the church. Well, Paul's really said, hey, Rome, you've got it wrong. Jesus is in charge. And this idea of Pax, peace, coming from Rome, Paul says, no, 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 not so fast. Let's look where peace comes from. Look with me, Colossians 1, verse 20. So he just got done saying all of this stuff about Jesus, and then verse 20 he says, and through him, Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How is peace brought about? The blood of Jesus on the cross. Okay, this is not just some nice spiritual statement that Paul is making. This is saying to Rome, hey Rome, thanks for helping us out. Because who killed Jesus? Rome. And it's through that death that Jesus brings about peace, he calls it here reconciliation, where there's a restored relationship between the divine and the created beings, us. And it's brought about because we need forgiveness. So Jesus' blood forgives us of our wrongdoing, and that restores us to relationship with God. That peace is not brought about by the military of Rome or the economy of Rome. It's brought by the blood of Jesus, the divine Son of God. Paul is saying very simply, Jesus deserves all of our loyalty because of who he is. Why do we make a big deal about Jesus? Because of who he is. In Sunday school, if you don't know the answer, what do you say? Jesus. It's a pretty good guess. And actually, why is it the right answer? Because it's all about Jesus. Because of who he is. He's in charge. He created everything. He owns everything. It all exists for him. Some might say, oh, that's kind of selfish. Take it up with Jesus. He's the one that says, it's for him. It's all for his honor. It's all for his glory. We make a big deal about Jesus because Jesus is a big deal. So, let's bring it very personal. Obviously, in the city of Colossae, they had serious loyalty issues. Are they going to say yes to Jesus? Are they saying yes to the Roman Empire? spiritually, economic, all of that. How about you personally today? Look with me at, first, at Colossians 1, verse 18, the end of it. So he says all that about Jesus, and he says at the end, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. Preeminent means first place. It's actually almost, some of your versions might say he might be in a place of supremacy. It's saying, basically, Jesus would be on the throne, that he's above all. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, Jesus is Lord over everything, therefore your life should have Jesus in first place. Now, all of us have made priority lists in our lives, right? Faith, family, work, finance, hobbies, we all have made priority lists. There's, There's a difference here where we've made a mistake. We've put Jesus on a priority list. Guess what? Jesus owns the priority list. He's above the priority list. If you put Jesus on a priority list, you've already minimized him. The reason that Jesus is different than everything else on the priority list is this. 
Jesus dictates the order of everything else on the priority list. Jesus dictates how we interact with everything else on the priority list. This morning, does your priority list reflect that Jesus said it? That Jesus is in control of it? Because Jesus is king over the universe, and he desires to be supreme in our lives. So some of us might hear this and go, wow, that's a nice God, a God that just says, hey, it's all about me. Well, it's vastly different when it comes to Jesus, because most people, to get into power, what do they do? They ascend into power. They work their way up the ladder, they grab other militaries, and they conquer different groups, and they finally get to a position of power, and they stay there. Jesus is vastly different. He doesn't ascend into power. You know what happens is he descends. The whole thing of what Paul is saying here is he was in a position of power in heaven. He's existed forever. And then what does Jesus do? He comes down to us. He descends to us. Why? Colossians 1, look with me at this. Colossians 1, verse 22. Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Almost every other king says this, hey, make yourself good and perfect and then come into the throne room. Clean up and then you can be, be with the king. Attain a certain status and then you can hang out with the king. King Jesus is different. What does he do? He comes to the people and he says, I'll make you clean. I'll make you holy. We're not holy because of what we do. We're not holy because of what we're done. We're holy because of what Jesus has done on our behalf because he has descended to us. Our loyalty belongs in one place, to Jesus, for he is the king. Not a king who doesn't understand, but a king who descended and lived amongst us and died a death that we deserve and then rose from the grave to be king over all. The question is very simple. Is he my king? Am I loyal to King Jesus? Or am I loyal to Rome? Which will it be? Rome or King Jesus? King Jesus is a good king. King Jesus has a promise of everlasting life in his kingdom because he's already done it. Rome can only guarantee today. It has nothing to say about tomorrow. But King Jesus has already spoken about tomorrow. Who will you give your loyalty to? Jesus or Rome? Let us pray. Everlasting God, Thank you for making yourself known to us through your son, Jesus. And we pray now, God, that you would awaken our hearts to his kingship. We pray that you would awaken our minds to his supremacy. Lord, we give you thanks that you came to us and made yourself known. I pray now this morning that you would examine our hearts and our minds and you'd make us aware of areas where we are not loyal to Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would redirect our priority list this morning. We pray that Jesus would redirect our priority list. They would bring him glory in all that we say and do. God, you are our king, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.